scripture we're going to look at today has to do with praising him. And I'm going to give you a chance if uh, you have been spending time memorizing our passage in Ephesians. I'll give you a chance to say it for us today. Anybody ready? You don't have to come up here. Nobody? Not yet? I'm not going to ask who's almost ready, because then I'll call you all week long. Okay, we're all going to say it then. You ready? Coming up on the screen. And we're going to say our passage from Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. I'll put this in front of me so I can see it better. Okay, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of the grace which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heaven and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession To the praise of His glory. Okay. Heavenly Father, once again we get the opportunity to come into this beautiful passage and to learn more about what You have done. May our hearts not only be opened up to understand, but in this very thing it humbles us so much to see the kind of love You have for us. It's overwhelming, Lord. And may our tongues be engaged with our hearts and quick to express the praise you so rightly deserve. Lord, thank you for loving us like you do. And thank you for giving us a name in Christ Jesus. And we look forward to learning more, a little bit about it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Focus today is on verse number six. It's not one of our words. It's the phrase to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. I like to give a working title here. Um, a seat at the table. That's not what we have as a bulletin, and that's, that's just a title I've been thinking about a lot lately. And I'll tell you why. 
as we work our way through this. We're studying a wonderful passage on our identity in Christ. The whole point is that uh, this is who you are in Jesus, and the call is for you to live up to it. That's what the passage is all about. It's who you are in Jesus and how we are called to live up to it. Because of our Savior, we have a very special relationship with our Heavenly Father. Our identity now in Christ, you being a believer in Jesus Christ, I trust everyone here is. If not, you need to know Him. But if you do know Christ as your Savior... You are blessed. You are chosen. You are holy. Wow. Think of that for a while. You are blameless. These are the words he said. I didn't write it. It's what he said. Right here in his word. We are predestined. We are adopted. These are realities. I just want you to understand that. They're not potentials. They're not something that you've got to try to figure out how to live up to it as if to earn it. It's been given to you in Jesus Christ. And that's a powerful thing to learn and to study. These are your actual identification points as a believer in Jesus Christ. And everyone in this room that is a believer in Jesus Christ, that is true of every single one of you. Every one of you. Now, what we see stated here is certainly in contrast to what we were before we knew Christ. That point is made throughout Scripture, isn't it? And I have been very careful to bring this up with every single message, just to underscore the fact that who we are is His doing and not ours. We do not deserve this. We do not deserve this. And I'm not one who finds some thrill in blasting those who were like we were. (laughs) I don't personally like to review these things often, but I think they're necessary. Necessary to show who you now are now is vastly opposite of who you were prior to Christ. In our context, in Ephesians chapter 1, we move to Ephesians 2 almost every single week. It starts in verse 1. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, according to the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived according to the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of our flesh and of our mind and were by nature children of wrath. Not a pretty picture. But that's right in the same context of this passage. It's showing a contrast. In Ephesians 4, just turn a couple more pages, and you see it again, the contrast in verse 17, for example. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity and with greediness. Woo! 
That's a picture of an unsaved person, folks. That's what it looks like from God's view. Go to verse 22. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. Corrupted is a powerful little word. But that's what you were. That's what I was. Verse number 8 of chapter 5. Just turn a page maybe. Or maybe it's on the same page. It says, you were formerly darkness. Darkness. Folks, put those words together and you got a terrible resume. That's what it was before Christ. That's what it was. Isn't it wonderful that God has chosen you to change? It's amazing what He's done for us in Christ. That we don't wear those titles anymore. That's not who we are. And that's not who we should be in our behavior either. You see, we strike the contrast for a reason. It's so that we could emphasize the channel. And the channel is that we are different because of Jesus. And I will underscore that every single minute I can. It's because of Jesus we are different. We are. Constantly it's noted in Ephesians chapter 1, it's in Him. It's in Him. It's in Him. It's in Him. And it wasn't that Paul's little word processor was stuck on two words. He wrote it every single time. In Him, through Him, by Him, with Him. All these phrases over and over and over again. Because if there is no Christ, there is no blessing. If there is no Christ, there is no identity. There is no change unless Jesus' death on your behalf has hit its place. By faith, you have come to understand that He died for you. He died for you. You take that personally, I hope. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. There's no other way. There's no other thing I offer to you. That's what God's Word says. This book declares Jesus Christ is a Savior. Your faith makes it my Savior. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? If you know Him, then you realize that all that He has accomplished through His own blood, and that's emphasized in chapter 1 so many times, through His blood, through His blood, through His blood. And the emphasis on that is something real simple, because you are nothing apart from Him. You have none of these characteristics that we've been talking about apart from Him. I'm going to keep underscoring it. We need Jesus. You believe in Jesus, you're different now. Do you know that? You are different now because of Him. Now, I haven't even got to verse 7 yet. And verse 7 is the, it's the potent one. Verse 7, he says right here, which of course you have half memorized by now. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. That is a precious verse. It's a refrigerator verse. 
you take it, write it down, stick it on the refrigerator. All right? That way you see it every morning. And at lunch, and in the evening. I don't know how many times you visit that thing. But it sure would be nice to see this often, wouldn't it? In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. What a precious thing that is. We're coming to that. We're not there yet. I think that's next week. All this is just to remind you of the value of these things. And those who struggle, and I know people do, they struggle with their understanding of their relationship with God. The fact is, we have an accuser. Satan is excellent at it. And he accuses, accuses, accuses to undermine God's work in your life. He does his best to convince you that you have relinquished your relationship with him because of your own sins, because of your disgraces, because of your blemishes, because of your blames. It doesn't take much to show that we're sinners. That's an easy job on his part. The accusations come with it. And he loves to strap that burden on the back of even a believer and make him confused. Make him not understand the grace of our Lord. And I'm not going to cheapen it. God's grace is amazing. People today cheapen that grace, and I don't like that. But we're not supposed to be sinning. But when we do, we feel terrible. Do we not? A conscience just drives us crazy. We feel so unworthy. We stand back and say, you know, I, I don't know if the Lord even loves me anymore. There are some who would teach today that it's okay to sin however you want. Because they take a verse out of context. They don't finish it. Are we to sin that grace may abound? God forbid. God forbid. We're not given a free pass to disobey our Heavenly Father. The cross is not to be minimized. It's not to be abased in any way whatsoever. His blood is precious. And if that blood has been applied to your life, realize your life is precious. It's precious. We're just called to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. But Satan would love to confuse you on all that. And he's good at it. He confuses us about the grace God's given. He cheapens it. He clouds it up. He confuses it. He even counterfeits it. He brings us all kinds of things to make us think very low of it. And yet, do you not know that the blood of Christ is sufficient? It's sufficient to save you and to keep you. It's a powerful thing to talk about. The blood of Christ. It's not uncommon for any of us to believe that all these blessings that we're studying here are for somebody else and not for us. It's easy to think that these don't apply to us personally because of who we are or what we've done. It's easy to do that. That's why I like verse number 6. Look at verse number 6. It doesn't say to your praise that you have these things. It doesn't say to my praise that we have these things. It wasn't something thought up by a theologian somewhere in an old book a long time ago. It's to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. 
This is the thought flowing all the way through this passage. Verse 6 brings it up. Verse 12 brings it up. Verse 12 says, To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. Verse 14 brings it up. It says, Who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. Why did Paul have to repeat that three times? Maybe it's because that's what we needed to see. We needed to see that. It says so many things to us. When it talks about the Father's works on our behalf, in verse 3 through 6, all the way through there, it's to the praise of the glory of His grace. When it talks about the Son's works, in chapter seven, or verse 7 through 12, it says that is to the praise of His glory. When it talks about the works of the Holy Spirit, in verse 13 and 14, that too is to the praise of His glory. What do you think you're going to do forever when you get to heaven? Praise Him for His grace. Over and over and over. And I don't think we'll ever get tired of it. We have all eternity to bring it up. To the praise of His glory. I don't think we can ever sing too much about it. Let's look at it carefully for a few minutes. You ready? This is powerful. To the praise of the glory of His grace. Underscore the last phrase which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. Who's the Beloved? Jesus Christ. Which He, God, freely bestowed on us, that's you and me, in Christ. Freely. Freely. Aren't you glad salvation doesn't cost $100,000? Some of us would say... (laughs) I guess I'm out. He doesn't take credit cards either. Aren't you glad it's not earned? Because here's the reality. If it's earned, it can be lost. Everything you can earn, you can lose. You can earn the title of the most home runs ever, and next year somebody will hit one more. That's how quickly things come and go. Of course, we're not looking at it that way. We're looking at it. How do I get this? How do I earn this? Well, it says he freely bestowed it upon you in Christ. Those are beautiful words. Beautiful words to just say he did it. He did it. He is the subject of that verb. He bestowed. He bestowed. I don't think I need to really convince you a whole lot about that, do I? None of you in this room are trying to earn it yourself, are you? When I say this, you say, well, of course, Pastor. It says it all over the pages. It says it again. And it says it often. I think it's because we have a hard time putting what we know into practice. We believe it, but how do we live? Do you live each day as if you're trying to earn God's favor? That you're trying to gain some sort of merit? That you're trying to get him to, to keep that salvation that you, you first had years ago? That he, you know, it's a fragile thing, isn't it? He bought it. He owns it. He gave it. Pretty good to me. I love it. But she freely bestowed on us and the beloved. Let's go to the front of that phrase. 
to the praise of the glory of His grace. I'm going to change some words because I play with Greek. You know that. And so change the word praise to fame and change the word glory to honor. And look at the phrase, to the fame of the honor of His grace. There is an honor to His grace. What He has done for you is out of a grace that's in keeping with His honor. His own reputation. Think of that for a few minutes. You thought that maybe He saved you by your reputation. We already saw your resume, sorry. It's still in there. This is about His reputation. This is incredible to to think through this. But I'll give you a good example of it. In Exodus 32. Go way back. Just an illustration to show you how important God's honor is. Exodus 32. That goes way back there, doesn't it? We have the record in front of us of Israel when they came out of Egypt. Now, these guys were class act people, always doing what's right, always with a tune of praise on their heart. You know, that's not true at all. They sinned, they sinned, they sinned, they griped, they complained, they murmured. Oh, could you imagine living with two million people that acted that way every single day for 40 years? That'd get old. I think somewhere up in heaven, the throne kind of was uncomfortable at times, too, looking down on these people. Thinking, ugh, there they are. They're still out there. Well, they continued to sin. Exodus 32 is the story of the golden calf. You remember that? I mean, been to Sunday school any time in your childhood. You had to have heard the story of the golden calf. Moses was up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, the law, the whole thing. The people down below said, oh, he's been gone too long. Uh, Aaron, make us something, something we can worship. We want to see God. And Aaron said they threw in their jewelry into the fire, and out came a golden calf. It was a surprise. I love that. Out this came. It's like, sure. Anyway, they started to worship this golden calf. After they had already promised to the Lord that they would keep his commandments, whatever he said they would do, they were disobeying him right at the start. And verse number 7, the dialogue begins. The Lord spoke to Moses, Go down at once, for your people, whom you, I love these pronouns, these are really fun, who you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned quickly aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf, And they worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now, then let me alone, that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them and make of you a great nation. Here is Moses. In the presence of God, God says, Moses, step back for a minute. Just go over there. I'm going to wipe them out. You know, he can. 
he would be justified even. Because the wages of sin is death. It was in keeping with his character. He could have just said, drop dead, and they'd take it literally. Every one of them would be done. He says, Moses, I'm just going to start over with you. Is that okay with you? I'm just going to put you here. I'm going to wipe them out, and we're going to be done with these people. Moses prayed for them. He prayed for them. He turned to entreat his Lord. In verse 11, Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, Oh Lord, why does your anger burn against your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, With evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and destroy them from the face of the earth? He says, okay, here's here's the deal, Lord. When the newspapers come out on this one, it's going to look bad. It's going to say, you brought them out here just to wipe them out. That's the way the world would take it. And it's about your reputation here. Is that what you want people to think, Lord, that that you wiped them out because they were angry at them and you just had to wipe them out? He says, why should the Egyptians speak like that in verse number 12? Why should they? He says, turn from your burning anger at the end of that verse. Change your mind about doing harm to your people. Then he brought the one thing before the Lord that the Lord had promised. The Lord's character was in this. Because the Lord keeps his promise. And Moses says, remember Abraham? Yes. How about Isaac? Mm-hmm. Israel, that's Jacob. You know, your servants whom you swore by yourself... And said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven. And all this land which I have spoken, I will give to your descendants. And they shall inherit it forever. Boy, what a bold prayer this one was. He says, God, you made a promise. This is about your promise. It's about your character. It's about how everyone else will view whether or not you keep those promises. You made it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And these are the people that you have said would come. The Lord changed his mind about harm that he said he would do to the people. Oh, he didn't wipe them out that day. But for 40 years, there were cemeteries every place they went. One by one, they all lost their lives, but a couple. Joshua and Caleb. But in this, there's a picture here all the way through about the character of our God and how even Moses in a time of crisis counted on that character, counted on it. That's a bold prayer. What did he appeal to? He appealed to the honor of the Lord's reputation. God used Pharaoh. To show the world who he was. God used Israel to show the world who he was. Who do you think he uses today to show who he is? Look in a mirror. Look in a mirror. You are the one, as a believer in Christ, that is a display of God's character, his honor in his grace. That work of grace 
is in reference to his honor. What he has promised you in Ephesians 1, he will keep not because of you or because of me, but because of his own reputation. He will keep that. It's a powerful display of what God can do and how he has changed you and me from death to life. That is what grace looks like. In Ephesians chapter 2, I want to show you something here. Jump back there. You probably have your bookmark there. I thought I did. Oh, I did. Okay. In Ephesians chapter 2, after that terrible list of all that we were before we knew Christ, it starts in verse 4, some of our favorite verses right here. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love in which He loved us, notice all the Attributes of God are popping off the page, aren't they? They're His attributes. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him. And seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that, verse 7, so that, here's the purpose of it all. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You are forever a display of what God can do. Anytime in heaven, anytime in all the ages yet to come, that somebody should ask, God, what does your grace look like? He's going to point a finger right at you and say, that's what my grace can do. You are an exhibition of God's honor in His grace. Did you realize that? In the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace. It wouldn't do any good if we weren't there. We'd have to be there for him to say, see? Right? This is beautiful. I hope you can see the value of these words. In the work that God has done to change your identity in Christ, to change you from dead to alive, to move you from enemy to a beloved son, to bless you, to choose you, to call you holy and blameless, and all these things we've seen. It's in keeping with the fame of the honor of His grace. All of that. All of that. And I am so glad to have a seat at His table. I want to tell you why I say that. The other day, as I'm, I'm working my way through the Gospel of John, uh, this year, last year, read through the Scriptures like we were challenging each other to do, and uh, this year I'm just going to read the Gospel of John in every translation I could find. So I read it through in one, I pull out another translation and read it through again. That's a, it's a fun exercise. The other day I was in John chapter 12, and I, something struck me in the passage that was so, so wonderful, honestly. You know, in John chapter 11, Lazarus died. Lazarus were introduced in John chapter 11 as a friend who Jesus loved, along with his sisters Mary and Martha. Lazarus was sick. They sent a message to, Laz- or to Jesus to come, because Lazarus was sick, but Jesus didn't come on time, and 
Lazarus died. Lazarus was buried. Chapter 11 even adds that his funeral was still going on. He was already stinking in the grave. It was four days old. And Jesus arrived. I always love the fact that every time Jesus arrives at a funeral, it changes. It just happens all the time, it seems, and it's fun to watch. But Jesus went to that tomb, and he had the stone rolled away. And you know the story, don't you? Lazarus came out alive. So, I see a resemblance there, and it's just kind of an interesting thing to note, that here we are, sick in sin, dead due to sin, hopelessly buried forever in sin, stinking in the wretchedness of it all, and then came Jesus. And he called us up from our spiritual death, and Scripture says he made us alive together with him. Those, I think, are precious. Now go to John 12. Watch the words as we start in verse 1. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one who was reclining at the table with him. He had a seat at the table. I always think this is so cool. What do you talk about? You just brought him back to life. And he's sitting there at the table. Isn't that cool? I just think, oh, I would have loved to have been in the room. Just to hear the words. Just say, wow. Maybe he's looking at things differently now. Maybe his life insurance man won't call him back. But what is this? He's sitting there at the table. What a difference Jesus had made. Here is Lazarus, formerly dead and buried, and now seated at the table with Jesus. Ephesians 2 says, He not only made us alive together with Him, but raised us up and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And I think about that little phrase. Now, Keep it right here in this section, but in, in chapter 12 of John, go past 3 through 8. That's Mary. She breaks out her perfume. She wipes his feet. That's, that's great, but we're going to go to verse 9. A large crowd of the Jews then learned that he was there at Lazarus' house. And they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. They said, wow, we've got to go see this. So they come to see what God had done. <laughs> Jesus' reputation had gotten out. The crowds were coming to see what, Lazarus, or what Jesus did. They had to see Lazarus. Imagine for a moment. Just think this through. People wanting to see you because they heard that Jesus changed your life. They wanted to see you. They wanted to come to your house and see the difference that God has made in your life. What do you do? Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they say they see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. I wish that everything we did would bring honor to his fame. 
I wish that everything we thought and every way we did it would bring honor to his name. That the world would look at us and say, wow, look what God's grace can do. I wish that was a constant testimony for the world to see. But I want to show you something else, too. Look down to verse 10. Even the enemies of Jesus had to confess that he had done something great in raising Lazarus from the dead. This is reality. All the chief priests got together, and the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also. Have you ever seen that before? They're like, man, we've got to get rid of him. He's a testimony of what Jesus can do. Let's get that off the map. And they planned to kill That's not fair. But that's what they were going to do. Because, verse 11, look at this. Because on account of him, Lazarus, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. Here's a changed life. And his testimony was so great that people saw him and knew they needed him, Jesus. How many people after hearing what God is doing in your life, has been changed forever because they came to know Jesus by watching you. Mm. Can they? Can they come to faith in Jesus on account of what you have shown? All of these things that we're talking about in Ephesians 1 are meant to show a purpose. They're to show the result of what God can do. He did all this to us. Gave us all these identities that we're studying here to bring Himself glory. To bring Himself glory. And He's accomplished it so perfectly that He can say, I can show this forever. And it will never diminish in its power. Never, never diminish in its quality. Never be different than what it is right now that I have accomplished for them in Jesus Christ. That's due to His character. That's due to His honor. Who then should be the first to praise Him? It says, to the praise of the honor of His grace. Who's the one who should be doing that today? Is it not us? The recipients of this? All this? I love that little verse in this book of Psalms. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It's time we open our mouths and give Him praise. This world needs to see the difference that God has made through Jesus Christ. You are that illustration. You are that illustration. We're to be spreading the fame of the honor of His glory. Isn't it great to sit at His table? I think so. And I hope you know why you're there. Why you're there. He's put you around this table. He set you up before everyone to see so that they could come to know the power of His grace too. That's our calling. Not just that we be all these things. It's wonderful as it is. This isn't just to, to stack up trophies and names and things on your account so that you feel good about yourself. 
It's so that people will see how great our God is. And that's what you can show every day of your life now. That's what the verse calls us to do. To the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. Aren't you glad He did? Hmm. Heavenly Father, these are powerful words for us. Good words. Very important words. Maybe not just pass by a verse like this without giving it the attention it's due to bring to our own hearts and our own minds the purpose of it all. Why you've done these things for us. Oh, we rejoice in the fact that you did. We rejoice that we have a relationship with you. Oh, yes, we do. But we have a world right now that needs to see the power of God's grace. And we are illustrations of it. May we be quick to present before this world the honor, the honor of the grace of our God. Thank you, Lord, for such a privilege. We are really, truly unworthy of even wearing your name, much less proclaiming it. But you've given to us both privileges. May we make good use of it. And may your glory be known. May it be seen. We long for the day when we're joined that chorus in heaven and sing praises forevermore. Let us start practicing now, Lord. Let us get in the habit now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.